Some of the toughest environmental challenges we face are matters of filtration. Whether it's capturing pollutants to purify drinking water, or removing contaminants and viruses to filter air, at the University of Kentucky, chemical engineers are finding solutions to these problems. I'm Alicia Gregory, Director of UK Research Communications. Today you'll meet a three-person female chemical engineering team led by Isabel Escobar, Professor of Chemical and Materials Engineering in the UK College of Engineering. She's the National Governing Board Chair of the Association for Women in Science. Escobar and two of her students will share what it's really like to be a woman in STEM, the reality of balancing work and family, and give advice for choosing the right mentor. Well, thank you very much for having us here. I'm very happy to be here today, and I'm very happy to be able to have this conversation with two wonderful students that I brought with me and the audience. And my name is Isabel Escobar. I'm a professor of chemical engineering here at the University of Kentucky. Uh, here, I do a lot of research with different forms of water filtration systems uh, to remove a number of different contaminants from water and to look at more sustainable greens met green methods of treating water and also air filtration, uh, such as mask and air filters to both remove and destroy uh, contaminants and viruses. And here with me, I have Aveline Fiona. So Aveline, can you introduce yourself? Thank you so much, Dr. Escobar. My name is Aveline Fiona. I'm a second year PhD student in the chemistry department. But currently, I get a chance to work with Dr. Escobar in her membrane filtration lab. And my research pretty much focuses on functionalizing membranes, it's pretty much how she said it. And it's just an, a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And my other fantastic student, Laura. Laura, can you say a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I am a senior undergraduate in the chemical engineering department, and I work with Abilene as her undergrad in the lab, and I've been there now for a little bit over a year, and I'm just happy to be here. Yeah, and Laura uh, had talked to me about doing research with me just before the pandemic and the shutdown hit, and I remember talking to her and uh, trying to figure out how we could restart research at the time and bring her. And she just kept telling me, I am here, I'm available, I'm dying to do research, even send me things to read during this yes. shutdown. Um, so let me ask the two of you, what inspired you to get into a science, technology, engineering, or math, or STEM field? And a little bit more detail about what excites you about your research and uh, all that you do right now. Well, for me, I was actually planning on going into business administration when I came into college. However, because <laughs> I signed up late for classes, all the business classes were filled. And one of the requirements was take one science class. And the only one that was open was a chemistry class. So I walked in and the very first day there was a woman who was my professor, Dr. Gnetza, she was up there. She didn't acknowledge me or anything or give me special treatment. Or I don't even think she remembers my name. But like all I remember seeing was like, this is a woman up there just doing her thing. And she commanded so much respect up there. And that's how I got stuck in chemistry forever. Oh, lucky us. <laughs> but I love it. <laughs> so what excites me most about what I'm doing right now is the real world application of it. Like, I, it's because I'm all into environmental remediation and membrane technology is 
an direct application to that. And since it's what I want to do with my career, it kind that's exciting for me, having an actual real-life application that's like a direct application. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about uh, the your, your fellowship. So you are probably one of the students with the most fellowships that we have. It shows how brilliant you are. So um, tell us a little bit about all of the titles you have. Well, I do have two big, Big fellowships. They're both NSF fellowships. Uh, one of them is the Bridged Doctorate um, Fellowship, which gives you support for two years um, with a generous stipend, if I may add. <laughs> but um, and then it helps you focus on your education and your research and getting rid of the teaching responsibility that you might have, which is very helpful. And then. Um, I also have the NRT Infuse Fellowship, which is another NSL fellowship. And that's like a traineeship where you do interdisciplinary research and incorporate it into your own research. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I'm one of the co-PIs of that one, so it's pretty awesome, I have to say. All right, your turn, Laura. Tell us a little bit more. Why did you decide to work with us and the environmental piece? And how much do you love membranes? Oh, I love membranes so much. But I grew up in a very science-centered household to where my dad was an engineer and my mom was a nurse. So I always knew I was going to end up in the STEM field, but I didn't know exactly where. And then when it came to choosing a major, I randomly chose chemical engineering, not really knowing what it was or if that's what I wanted to end up doing. But after taking some of the courses, I found it super interesting to see that you can apply world world problems and finally find a solution to them with using math and science. And so after going through a couple of my courses, I finally had Dr. Escobar for fluids and thermodynamics. And I really liked her energy and I had been wanting to get some lab experience. So I had reached out and learned about the world of membranes. And ever since then, I've just been totally enthralled to see things that we were taught in classes be applied and just how expansive the world of research is. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that uh, you talked about the world of research. It really is exciting and there are so many possibilities uh, for research. And so tell me a little bit about both mentors and role models. And you mentioned one, but let's say aside of course from me, it's absolutely wonderful and amazing. And, you know, of course, of course. And I know that, Laura, you're immediately thinking of Abilene. Always. As, yes, always. It's your ultimate role model. So, but others, other mentors, role models that you have, uh, people that um, you really say that have helped you through this. Yes. Uh, so at my previous university, I've had two specific role models. One is Dr. Kalumba. He's not actually in science. He's a philosophy professor, but he's very amazing and he's very supportive, especially of female um, STEM people. So like I reached out to him one time because I started to join an organization and he was the advisor for that organization. And when he heard I was in science, he was sending me resources, like do this, join this research. So like he has really helped shape who I am as a person and not just academically, but like as an individual. And also um, Dr. Zaran, um, I, yeah, there were not very many 
female researchers at my previous school, which is why it's amazing I came here and I get to work with a female researcher like me, so that's really cool. But then the other one is Dr. Zoran, who's my previous advisor for my master's degree. Like, he really went out of his way to, like, make sure, like, I love what I'm doing and I'm continuing it to, to take it forward and stuff like that. So, yes, he was very amazing and instrumental in getting me where I am. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, in talking about support then, uh, when you mentioned, and I want to bring up that uh, you have a small child who's four, and you are you yourself are an amazing role model to her. You are showing that a woman can indeed be able to obtain her PhD, be able to become Dr. Fiona, and someday she's going to be very proud to tell all her friends that you have a PhD and that you did it while having a child. Then um, during the ice storm. I remember we were about to submit a manuscript that had been on our hands for way too long with collaborators, and uh, they would send a question, and you would message me and say, I can't do this right now. It's going to have to wait until after um, my daughter goes to sleep, and I would reply, and I would be like, all right, got you. I'll try to answer to the best that I can, and then I started answering, and we're just making all of this happen via text message because you have a four-year-old, I have a almost seven-year-old. And um, so we're figuring out how to make, how to be professional, how to make all of these manuscripts and all research happen with kids running around and, you know, working at late hours and via text message a lot. But Tell us about that. Tell us about having a child and your interaction with mentors and other professors and professionals. So first of all, it's amazing being a mom and being able to say, like, yes, I got my master's with a child and I'm going to get my PhD with a child. But it's not easy. Like she said, like sometimes daycare will cancel in the middle of the day and you just have to drop everything and go to daycare and get your child. So choosing the right advisor is very important for that because every whenever you do interviews on who to have an advisor with, everybody will always assure you, we understand you have a child, we can work with you, we're flexible, but not everybody is able to do that. And then having an advisor who truly does understand it and who's flexible to understand that life happens outside of school is very important, which is something whenever anybody's choosing an advisor, make sure you're listening to how they're saying something, what they're saying, not just like what they're saying, because everybody's required. They, nobody will tell you, no, you have a child. I can't have you as a student. Like <laughs> that's like a lawsuit waiting to happen. <laughs> so it's, it was very important to, I interviewed over 12 different advisors just because like, I knew what I wanted to do in research-wise. But at the same time, I also know I'm a mother and I have responsibilities. So like, I needed to be able to mash the two worlds together. And finding the right advisor was very crucial for me. And I've had in the past, like bosses and other advisors in the past who claimed they were supportive, but they could not understand why, like, oh, my child got sick at daycare and I have to go. Because <laughs> being a single mother is not easy. It's not like you can just call someone else and be like, hey, pick up my child. You are their parent, so you have to do it. So that was very crucial for me to find the right advisor and being in the right lab, right environment to be able to move forward professionally, but also personally. And Laura, tell us a little bit, your mentors. Now you've had, you know, us talk a lot about, but 
what mentors and role models and people who actually make a difference. And I think that Avalyn touched on something really important in wanting to get students. And uh, there's a, an incredible, oh, we're all dying for students. Right now I have more research funding than students. So I am desperate trying to get everyone to work with me. Uh, but what advice, what are important things about mentors? What are mentors, who are mentors that have actually been upfront and true to what they say and, um, and those that have not? And what do you look for in a mentor role model? Yeah, I mean, I know as an undergraduate, the idea of walking up to a professor and just starting a conversation can be really scary and daunting. And I think it took me a while to realize that your professors are out there to want to help you and to try and connect to their students. I mean, you might be in a class of over 100 people and your professor will still want to make a personal connection. So once you get over the hurdle of being too scared to go up during class or to an office hour and gaining that personal connection, it really showed me how much help each professor could be. And especially once I joined Dr. Escobar's lab, having her as someone who I can look to as an example and everyone else that's in the lab, it really changed my perspective on everything. It made me see like, oh, going to get a PhD could actually be something that's accessible. And you don't always just have to go into industry. And learning that engineers have a totally different array of jobs than just what you might stereotypically, stereotypically think. And also just seeing, being in a class with majority men and being a woman, having professors who are women and can understand that although we're more common now that we're still trying to break a glass ceiling somehow and trying to get more representation has just really been helpful. So I think really just connecting with almost any and all of my professors that I can has really just helped me out and gone to see that they want you to succeed. Yeah, I think that that's a big one. And we do, we really want you to succeed. Uh, people always talk, love to talk about the real world. And you know, we are like in, in like a fantasy world. And we say that I think of us as like Hogwarts <laughs> and that, you know, all like fantasy. Uh, but we do have a product. Students are a product. So we want you to get out and we want you to not only have a great job, but to also be happy and successful and be able to tell your friends that you had a good experience. I try to make our lab kind of like a little family and um, uh, to pair up uh, undergraduates with graduate students for their mentoring. So of course, I, I have to say that there's one of your mentors right there in Abilene, yes. right? Uh, um, but, uh, and it's both uh, a joke because you two get along really well, but also Abilene is out there doing it. You know, she makes life happens and uh, she, she publishes and she does this fantastic work. And uh, whenever you ask to see her data, she laughs and she says, no, no, it's, it's not good. <laughs> it's really not good. And you do the exact same thing. You're like, yes. oh no. You never want to see it. <laughs> yeah. It's not good. And when I look at it, I'm always like, this is amazing. This is totally publishable. Let's write a paper around this. This is beautiful. So um, I think it's so important to have a lab where the students, undergraduates and uh, graduate, 
are out there becoming friends, we all become like this small family. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we argue, so we get a little <laughs> dysfunctional, but most of the time we work really well together. And um, so in going more, what advice do you have for um, women looking uh, for you, Evelyn? I'll ask you, what advice would you have for women who want to go on, women who want to go into STEM, or uh, women who find themselves in STEM, in a chemistry classroom or an engineering classroom, and are like, oh, wow, this is kind of fun, but how do I succeed? Oh, I'll ask that first, and then I'll ask a follow-up. All right, so the advice I would have, not trip off Nike or anything, but <laughs> just do it, because at the end of the day, you have to, to like create your own pockets of opportunity for yourself, and there is resources out there. You just have to do slightly, a little bit more work to find them, but the resources are there to help you succeed, and there are mentors out there. It doesn't have to be your direct advisor who's mentoring you. You can have mentors outside of your own advisor that can, for example, if you have a mentor you're not getting along with, that doesn't mean that's the end of your road. You can get a support system outside of your own research, outside of your own direct mentor to help you succeed. Um, just because one person gets in your way doesn't mean that's the end of your road. Yeah. And here's a follow-up. What would you tell your daughter when she gets older and she starts looking to go on and let's say that she comes over to you and she says, Mom, I think you're amazing, as you are. And I want to become a scientist, too. What would you tell her as advice? Well, first thing I would say is, like, be very sure that's what you want to do because it's a long road and it is a battle, especially for us women in science. There's not very many of us. For example, there's, like, um, I went to this seminar once and one person who came to us like, oh, I'm the first um, black astrophysics for NASA or something like that. And I'm looking at her and she's young. I'm just, how are you the first? So like my daughter, of course, she's going to be an underrepresented minority by time, hopefully not. But like being um, realistic, she'll probably be an, an, still an underrepresented minority by time she's ready to make that decision. So now letting her know, like, make sure you really love it because it's going to be a tough road and there's not very many people who are like you who are going to do the same thing. So you need to really love it and stick with it no matter what obstacles come your way because there'll be very many. Be able to fight back and push forward. Yeah, how do you keep your confidence up? You have an amazing deal of confidence and I know that part of that is because you're brilliant. <laughs> part of that is because you're brilliant, but you keep your confidence and I know that there are a lot, uh, there are a lot of struggles for black women, black women in STEM. I often say that, um, minority women in STEM, we are even the noise in the data. We're not even, we are in the standard deviation in the data. So what extra advice? I mean, what you said, what would be to your daughter, but let's say to women who are in the audience listening to you right now and are struggling, are struggling with those advisors and are struggling with those mentors or don't have one. Well, I would love to say I have all this confidence, but you know, it's, it's an on and off switch. <laughs> but uh, one thing I do is like, I create a community of a supportive community around me. For example, I'm part of the LSAMP community, the lowest talks, um, 
I don't know if you know about it, Alliance. So um, that's a group of individuals who are like me, underrepresented minorities in sciences going towards a common goal. So like once a week we have a meeting and having that community really does help you. And it doesn't have to be an official alliance like that. It can just be like your own community that you created. For example, I have an amazing relationship with my advisor and she's very supportive and she... reminds me more often (laughs) like yes you're amazing you can do this so like having a supportive community that you created and you can fall back to and you're not afraid to cry to if things get hard that's very important oh that is such an important keyword community creating that supportive community that lifts you up and lifts each other up that's amazing advice now laura i won't make you have to follow that up (laughs) with amazing advice like that, but you have, you're different because you come from a smaller town. You were saying Mm -hmm. earlier that everybody knows everybody else, right? Right. In Paris, Kentucky. Uh, And I don't know if that's true. I'm going to go around, I'm going (laughs) to drive over to Paris and I'm going to start asking people if they know who you are to see if that's true. Uh, But what would you tell us an advice? You happen to come from a very STEM family, but people from small towns, some of your friends that didn't have that, uh, that, that, that family, that, uh, that th- those role models that had gone to college, that understand and understand the sciences, but are interested, somebody from a small town or any other small communities. Yeah, so I know even coming from a smaller town and coming to UK was a big shock. I mean, you go from a graduating class of less than 200 people to 2,000 people. Your classes are over 150 people. And so being able to find your voice in the crowd was really important for me because I'm somebody who can fade away in the background if I want to. And so realizing that you have to take your chances when you find them and just take every advantage that you can get And don't like keep on working until you reach your dream because you're here for a reason and other people will try and, you know, steer you different ways. But you have to make sure that you're working towards your goal and you surrounding yourself with people who acknowledge that and will also help you. Yeah, I love that. The first time that I remember calling the the National Science Foundation, a program officer, I actually had a script of exactly what I was gonna mm-hmm. say. And I remember calling uh, before they would open so that it would have to go into voicemail so that I could <laughs> use my script. And I, you know, because they always said, oh no, don't, don't send an email, call. And I would be like, call? Pick up the <laughs> phone? Call a human? So I had the whole script. But um, it takes a lot. And I think women in engineering, mm-hmm. women in STEM, it takes a lot of courage to get out and to be able to, to send that email, to mm-hmm. make that phone call, to knock on the door. So where did you find the courage um, to do that? I, I know it, it, it takes a lot of courage. Yeah, it definitely isn't just something that comes naturally. I mean, walking into my first engineering class, you hear people say that, oh, women are underrepresented in the engineering and STEM fields. But You don't really notice it until you walk into an engineering course and there's 75 men and like five to 10 women. And we all kind of corral together and like our own little tables. But you have to figure out that women can do anything 
that a man a man can say that he can do. And even though sometimes you'll interact with them and they'll try and speak over you or dismiss your ideas, you have to become really confident in yourself and establish that you won't be spoken over and you won't be dismissed just because you're a small part of this class. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's excellent. That's an excellent point. Um, you are not. You are not being overlooked and dismissed. And uh, I have to say now that we also have in our group a, a lot of men, and they are great. Mm-hmm. They're very supportive. They listen. They're actually very good listeners to all that uh, that we ask and uh, to all that we say and uh, and input and your know-how. They all very much respect. Just the other day in a group meeting, one of uh, the, the male graduate students, when we were talking about your work and what you're going to do, he's like, wow, this sounds so interesting. I want to read that. Um, because, yeah, he wants, to, he wants to learn from you. He wants to learn from the women in our group, and that's incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. So um, with that, I'm really happy that we had this chance to talk, uh, that you had your chance to share uh, your experiences, uh, what here uh, at the University of Kentucky and outside of the University of Kentucky with mentors. I got a lot of out of this to have community, to, the, to build a community and mentors are part of your community and to have courage to speak for yourself, to be who you want to be out of this conversation, which is exactly what we want, exactly where we want women to go uh, to be, and I am very glad that, again, that we had a chance to have this conversation, and um, thank you so much for your time. Um, I know that you're going to have amazing luck moving (laughs) forward. I know you are choosing a PhD program right now, and I know Mm -hmm. that uh, you make the very best choice for you and for what you want, regardless of how much I attempt to recruit you. (laughs) You will make, and I will 100% support Uh, your decisions and you know that I will always 100% support both of you and so thank you thank you very much